as a boy, I used to get into all sorts of things that uh, boys would get into and uh, climbing trees and getting a little closer to the edge than what my mom would want me to. Uh, wherever I was doing, I'd climb around and play in the ravine that was near our house. And we just, anyway, I was just a uh, you know, typical boy and, and going, going every different direction. And, and I remember multiple times my mother would say, Peter, be careful. Usually it was Peter John, be careful. And I, my response was always, I'm be carefuling. And that's, and, oh, that was so cute, right? Uh, I think I was pretty careful. I've never broke, broken a bone. I think she didn't have anything to worry about, right? But um, uh, we, um, as we step into this uh, next part in the book of Ephesians, that's exactly what Paul tells us to do. It actually starts out, be very careful. But I don't think he's talking about driving safe or about climbing trees. He's, he's continuing to emphasize how we need to live out our identity in Christ. Uh, we've been made new. We're part of God's family. His Holy Spirit is living inside of us. All that stuff that we've been talking about all summer long. That we have this new identity. Uh, we're, we're different. The old is gone. The new has come. And, and so last week was all about how we do that specifically and, uh, and we talked about putting off the old self and, and putting on the new self. We don't live out of our old identity anymore because we've been made new. And so we need to consciously live like that. It, 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 will, it will affect every aspect of our lives. Uh, how we think and what we say and our relationships, uh, uh, all sorts of things uh, listed there in, uh, in that, in that uh, uh, passage of chapter 4 and chapter 5 that we looked at last week. And, and we said that, that most of the time, people are living asking this fundamental question, how can I get what I want? That's the old self. The old self that we're to put off is that self that, that asks, how can I get what I want? But instead, as we put on the new self, we're asking a whole different question, how can I please God? And, and so now Paul summarizes all of that, uh, and he's gone through all these things about uh, how to live and don't be angry, and, and this is how you should live in your sexual life, and this is what your relationship should look like, and, and uh, this is how you should live, uh, all these sorts of things. He summarizes all that beginning in chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, uh, and, and, and he, uh, he kind of brings it all together in verses 15 to 20, and that's where we find ourselves today. So it'll be up there on the, uh, on the Jumbotron for you, but I'd encourage you to to uh, pull it up on your own device or, or uh, flip through the, the, the Bible that you brought today as we look at what Scripture has to say uh, in how we live out of this new identity. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be very careful then how you live. D don't, don't take this as a sense of, of careful, meaning live cautiously, or don't take risks, or wrap yourself in bubble wrap when you go out into the world. It's, it's not that sense of being careful. That's not the intent of what Paul is saying here. The, the Greek word that he uses there actually means to watch, or to be aware, or to be alert. Be careful how you live could literally be translated, and in some translations it's actually uh, written this way, watch how you walk. Watch how you walk. 
Um, lately, I've been getting up early to run. I know some of you, that's two things that you can't relate to. I understand that. Um, but I mean like really early. Like this week, I was up before the sun uh, a couple of different times in order to get that run out of the way so I can get into, uh, you know, life. And so uh, a few days ago, started down the driveway, heading out, and I sensed some movement over to my side. And kind of a, anyway, there was something going on over there. So I kind of stopped and paused and pulled back, and sure enough, matching my stride as I headed down the driveway, pretty big skunk right there. So I immediately pulled back, stepped aside, gave him a wide berth. He kept going, actually cut right in front of me across the driveway, found a place to go and hide, and I went on my way. About a, same morning, about a mile and a half into the run, so it's still dark, and uh, I'm, I'm running down the sidewalk, and up ahead of me, about, you know, from me to, to that table there, I see some more movement, and I'm going, this is probably not a bunny rabbit, doesn't look like it. Sure enough, this time, little baby skunk, uh, just wonderful little, cute little thing. Um, is there a song for that? Baby skunk, but no, that's not, that's a whole other. Uh, anyway, so... Again, slowed down, ruined my whole time for the day. These skunks are just, you know, whatever. But uh, cut across the path and up into the yard. And uh, I just got to be, uh, I, I, guess I, I guess I learned the truth that Paul is talking about here. He doesn't say run, he says walk, but he says watch how you walk. I, I think I know what he means a little bit about watch how you run, uh, mainly because there are consequences if you don't. If, if I wasn't worried about or careful with uh, how I was running that day, uh, there would have been consequences to, uh, to my actions. And that's, that's exactly uh, why your mom tells you to drive safe and to be careful. And that's exactly why Paul tells you to watch how you walk, to be very careful how you live, because there are many things along the paths of life that can cause problems. In, in his words, he says, because the days are evil. Temptations are everywhere, and if we're going to have the influence for God uh, that his followers are expected to have, if we're going to be effectively loving people to life, we have to live carefully, we have to watch how we walk. Uh, Paul kind of summarizes all that by in, the, in his next little phrase, he says, making the most of every opportunity. Some other translations, maybe when you've pulled it up on, on your, uh, uh, in your Bible, it, it, it puts this in terms of time. Uh, and this could start a conversation about, about letting God use our time for his glory, the minutes and the hours and the days that he's blessed us uh, with living because the, 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 these minutes and hours and days and weeks and months, they pass too quickly, right? And, and once you've spent your time, you can't get it back. And, 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 um, and so that's, uh, that, that's an important conversation to have. And, but I think we all realize the value of time, most people today do their best to try to save time, uh, or at least to manage our time, right? And so, uh, a lot of our modern uh, inventions were the the whole reason was to save or cut back on the time that it takes to do something. Uh, and and sometimes uh, sometimes these time saving things kind of go to the extreme. I I heard a while back about a church in Daytona Beach. Maybe you've been there on vacation. Uh, it's called the um, the Drive-In Christian Church. Go ahead there. Um, 
I guess it's for folks who are uh, racing through and don't have time to actually get out of their cars and, and go to church. Um, there's, uh, of course, you can, you can drive through. Go ahead, and if you're in Vegas, you can drive, have a drive-up wedding. Who'd want to take the time to actually, like, you know, get out and walk down the aisle or anything like that? But you can just drive through and have your... Or, and, man, this is, this is real. Go ahead. Uh, in Pensacola, Florida, there is a drive-through funeral home. And um, quoting the uh, funeral director, this is for those who, quote, don't have the time to bid farewell inside. So you can just drive through. I think it's like a former bank, and you just got the little, uh, you know, anyway. Paul's statement in Ephesians 5 goes, goes deeper than just uh, addressing our need to save or manage our time. He's not talking about just saving time. He's talking about being wise with how we live. And you see there's, there's a bit of a difference there. The original meaning of this passage uh, could actually be translated, maybe I think it's in the, uh, the, the King James translation, it says redeeming the time. The word redeeming means to buy up or to purchase. So we should be buying up the time that we have in this life and making the most of it. But the word time there, there's a couple of Greek words uh, that, that can be translated time in English. Uh, one is chronos, which is uh, clock time, right? Uh, it's, uh, you measure that, you measure chronos in hours and minutes and, and seconds. And, and uh, although it's wise to make use, good use of our clock time, that's not what Paul, that's not the word that Paul used here when he, he says redeem the time. He uses the word kairos, which actually refers to more of a special occasion or an appointed time or an opportunity. That's why in the, in the New Living Translation we read earlier, it says making the most of every opportunity. In other words, rather than being called, uh, called to be good time managers, we're called to be good opportunity managers, you see the difference? We're not just saving time by doing things efficiently. We've got an opportunity and we need to manage that well. It's not about the time, it's about the timing. Tomorrow you will be given more hours. But you may never have the same opportunity again that you had today. Being careful how you live means recognizing the opportunities that God brings your way and being ready and willing to jump in as he directs. Paul says part of our identity in Christ as a new creation, we're different. We put on off the old self, we put on the new self. A new self makes the most of the opportunities that, that God brings our way. Now, I'm pretty sure that, uh, I don't know, it, to me, pretty quickly there, I start thinking about the opportunities I've missed and we've probably all missed opportunities. There have been stocks we should have invested in, maybe a job we should have taken, a pass we should have caught, a point we should have raised, the one that got away, uh, the relationship we should have sought after, the advice we should have given, the tongue we should have held, whatever the case, we've missed opportunities. But rather than be mired in the regret of the past, the book of Ephesians here tells us to redeem the opportunities that we have now. And in the future. 
There seems to be an urgency here with, with Paul's instruction for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, the days are evil. Uh, we, we mentioned that before. There, we're living in a world that's not only full of skunks, but it's full of sin. And it, it's full of sin's influence and the temptation that comes. So there's an urgency uh, uh, for followers of Jesus as children of God to be a holy influence that counters the effects of sin. We sang about it this morning that, that, that making, we're making the darkness flee uh, because God, God and his light is shining within us wherever we go. Go, the darkness has to uh, has to fade, and so so uh, as as followers of Christ, we've put on the new self, and so we uh, well, it even says there earlier in, in chapter five that we need to live as children of light, and so the darkness disappears as we uh, as God lives through us, because the consequences of sin are dire and they have eternal significance. There's an urgency to make the most of every opportunity. The, the urgency is also here because we don't know how much time we have to influence uh, the people and the circumstances around us. The opportunities don't last forever. At some point, uh, this life will end. If we don't take advantage of the opportunities, they will pass us by. John Wesley, back in the day, 17-whatever, uh, when, uh, when, when he was around, he, he preached in one of his servant sermons. He said that we should be, quote, saving all the time you can for the best purposes, buying up every fleeting moment out of the hands of sin and Satan, out of the hands of sloth, ease, pleasure, worldly business, the more diligently because the present days are evil days, days of grossest ignorance, immorality, and profaneness. Redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity. I guess we could stop right there and uh, maybe you'd feel a little beat up, uh, but how do we do that? Well, Paul says that there are several ways we can do that. How do we live carefully and make the most of the opportunities around us? The next few verses kind of spell that out. So I want to pull just a, a couple of those things out. The, 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 the very first way and the, maybe the best way to know that you're not wasting the opportunities that God uh, brings your way is to discern God's will. Don't be foolish. Well, I, I said it a little differently. Don't be stupid. Uh, Paul was a little nicer there maybe. Don't be stupid. Find and follow God's will. I mean, that makes sense. If we're doing what God uh, wills in the world, then we're not wasting our time, but we're taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. There are many books written and sermons preached and Sunday school lessons taught about how to discover God's will. And although it, at times it seems daunting and out of reach, knowing God's will is, is rooted first and foremost in knowing God. I've, uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again uh, probably a lot uh, in, uh, over, the, over the years. I, I say it all the time. God doesn't usually shout. He usually whispers. And so if you want to hear the voice of God, you need to get quiet and you need to get close. In order to hear someone who's whispering, you don't want all the distractions and all the noise and you don't want to be talking. You've got to shut up, lean in, and listen. The best way to get close to God, to know God, in order to know God's will, is to spend time with him. And we do that through spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and, 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 and the Bible. Uh, God's will is splattered all across the pages of scripture. And so many times I think people want a big sign in the sky. Go, go this way, do this. I don't know what to do and God just won't show me. Well, have you been reading the Bible? I mean, in, in reality, if, if, we're, if we're reading scripture, it won't be near as, uh, as a, as a as much of a mystery 
Um, that's always the first question, and man, nine times out of ten, well, no, I haven't really been. Well, the secret to knowing God's will is to know God, and if you're not spending time with these ways that we can know God, these means of grace like, like uh, uh, scripture reading and, and prayer and spending time in church and studying with each other in a, in a class or a group and, and all sorts of, if we're not spending time knowing God, we're not going to know God's will. Now, I know that there are, there are times that all of us have gone through when, when, uh, when we've, it's been hard to discern God's will specifically. I'm not trying to diminish any of those things, but, but, but it's far more common for people to, to be trying to discern God's will when they're not really even following him that closely. And there's so much in the Bible that helps direct our steps to guide us in the right direction, and we're not even spending time there. So knowing God's will is rooted in our relationship with him. It's rooted in knowing God. So spend time with him uh, in, in, in all those ways and more. Practicing those, those spiritual disciplines and habits so that we can uh, make the most of our... Doing those things is part of making the most of our lives. Maybe, it, maybe we hear that, uh, make the most of every opportunity. Well, I've got to be out there doing this and doing that and doing that. We won't be ready to do this and do that until we're centered and grounded in knowing God and knowing his will. And so one way that we make the most of our lives is we're investing in those spiritual disciplines and practices in order to get to know God. Then we will, as Paul says, understand the will of God. Again, he says if we're not doing it, that's, it's just plain stupid. It's foolish. Many precious hours and days and years have been wasted by people who have not sought God's will or God's kingdom. And who knows what influence they could have had if they had been seeking God's will. But when we understand God's will, we're set on a journey of influence as we redeem the time and we make the most of our lives. Making the most of every opportunity. Paul says one big way, maybe the most important way, don't be stupid. Find and follow God's will. The second one is don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, drunkenness doesn't lead to anywhere good. Uh, some might think that it feels good at the time, but, but as this, first, uh, this verse states, it says uh, that, that being drunk leads to debauchery. Now, there's a great word uh, that uh, we probably don't even quite know what it means, but it doesn't sound very good, right? Boy, that's, ooh. Yeah, we're talking about sin, and then there's debauchery. I mean, that's just going to the next level, right? Uh, and a lot of times, it, it, it does mean, uh, uh, it, it is used a lot of times in, in reference to uh, uh, sexual immorality and those kinds of things. But ultimately, debauchery is simply the sin of going way too far. It's the sin of excess, going way too far. And so Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. It's one example of going way too far. It leads, doesn't lead anywhere. I mean, as the statement goes, nothing really good has ever happened after somebody utters the phrase, here, hold my beer, right? It doesn't, uh, usually that's not a wise person that's about ready to do something lofty and wise and, and amazing, we don't usually describe someone who is intoxicated as, as being the person who's giving great advice. Well, it might sound great at the time until later when we think about it. Being careful how you live won't involve, involve drunkenness, Paul says. I mean, we don't have to look too far to see the devastation that the sins of excess can bring to lives and relationships. 
Marriages have been broken, families blown apart, and even lives lost because of people's poor choices with sins of excess, alcohol and other substances and all those kinds of things. In fact, our own denomination uh, has always said, hey, it's probably just best to not drink at all or to not participate in any of that stuff because you're not going to go to excess if you're not doing it at all. When it comes to an addiction, it can drag us away from our relationship with God and it can distract us from our mission of making the most of our lives, of, of loving people to life. And so uh, although Paul is making a strong statement here against the sins of excess, really he's even more, uh, he's just, that's one example. He's saying ultimately even more if we're going to find what, how to make the most of our lives, don't even worry about any of that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's his real point, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and this isn't the first time that these two uh, things have kind of been uh, put, uh, put in the same context, uh, uh, being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. So I guess maybe it looks a little bit the same. I don't know. Uh, it, it did on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, the disciples were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit uh, came down upon them. They were started testifying and, and, uh, and prophesying. And, and people said, hey, looks like they're drunk. Had a little too much. And Peter said, they ain't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. They haven't had a chance to get drunk. They're simply filled with the Spirit, and they're following what he wants them to do. It was their ecstatic experience with the Spirit. Here's here's the thing I think Paul is getting at. The Holy Spirit is a vital force in making your life count, in redeeming your time. Living carefully in these evil days will involve being filled with and following the direction of the Holy Spirit. Drunkenness is Paul's example of how people waste their time and waste their lives, but being filled with the Holy Spirit is one of the best ways uh, to make your life count. If you think about it, uh, the, the, the two experiences are really at opposite uh, extremes. Drunkenness dulls your senses. God's presence heightens your senses. Drunkenness puts you in a stupor. Uh, the spirit enlightens your mind. Drunkenness empties you of dignity and purpose. The spirit gives dignity and purpose to our lives. Drunkenness kills. The spirit gives life. Drunkenness makes us stagger, uh, and we don't quite know where we're headed. The Holy Spirit gives us direction. Many times people head towards substances and harmful habits in order to escape the pressures and the pain of life. But that's not how it works with the Holy Spirit. And if we're going through the, the, the pressures and the pain of life, seeking the Holy Spirit uh, is, is the way that we find peace and rest and answers and encouragement. Paul says making the most of your life is not about this aimless sin of excess. It's about being filled with the Spirit. The third thing he says, and this gets a little weird, uh, he says, have a song in your heart and on your lips. Well, that's the way I phrase it. Have a song in your heart. It says, talk to each other with songs and hymns and, and uh, spiritual. It, this reminded me of, of my uh, uh, favorite, one of my favorite stories uh, from Max Lucado, or as I like to call him, Max Luckadoo, but uh, I think it's Lucado. Anyway, uh, the, the story is, is all about Chippy. Uh, a little parakeet, and it goes something like this. Maybe you've heard the story. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose, stuck it in the cage, but then the phone rang, and she turned to pick it up, and she barely said hello when... 
Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. And there was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him, raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held him under the running water. Then, realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer, and she blasted him with hot air. And poor Chippy never knew what hit him. Lucado finishes the story this way. He says, a few days after the trauma, a friend called Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. For you bird owners, I'm sorry about that. We're not laughing at you. We're laugh- oh, you're not laughing. Okay, no. Here's my question. I don't know if you can relate to Chippy's experience at all, but has life stolen your song? Paul says that living carefully and wisely will involve singing and making music. Actually, I don't know if he actually heard some of you because I have, and I'm not sure he would write this if he... No, I'm just kidding. I don't think that means that we live like a Broadway musical. And that's how you could read this. And you just kind of break out into, you know, and that's kind of how I live my life sometimes. Um, And uh, we enjoy just whatever. It sounds to me like making the most of every opportunity should include having a song in your heart. And maybe even on your lips. First it says to speak to one another with songs of the faith. Uh, maybe not literally, maybe literally. I, I think the connotation is here is that we'll encourage each other, that we'll bring joy to others in our relationship. Music has always been a part of, of a life of faith. Uh, wh- whether you sing well or not, the songs that, that have been written and sung and that we enjoy together and have been for years in the Christian faith... Uh, that the, the, they, they have so much truth to speak, and many times we sing that in order to remind ourselves of what that truth is. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's more, probably every time, it's more memorable than a sermon. I mean, I find myself uh, throughout the week humming a tune, and then I realize that it's something that we sang on Sunday. Um, I, I don't, maybe, you know, the sermons come back and, and you realize those things, but I would guess even more the song is, is what implants itself in our hearts. Songs hit us emotionally, and so the truths contained in those songs uh, should be living within us and should come out as we interact with each other. Maybe not singing it to each other, but the truths contained there. Uh, of course, all of that comes from a heart, from a life that is in a constant, st- excuse me, a constant state of worship. And, and maybe that's what, what Paul is looking at even more than the, the songs that are sung. It's the worship from our hearts. We're singing, we're making music in our hearts to God. Uh, we live in evil days, Paul says. There's pain and there's brokenness and there's heartache. But don't let that steal your song. Don't let that hinder your worship. Don't let that keep you from encouraging each other with the truths of God. It's an important part of making the most of every opportunity and then he he tacks on one more at the end he says give thanks be thankful is your life characterized by gratitude Uh, how much time do we waste complaining about what's going on instead of thanking God for his presence in the midst of it 
For most of, uh, of last winter and spring, for about six months, I, uh, every day I would try to list three things that I was thankful for. Just three things every day. Uh, it was a great season uh, for recognizing the amazing abundance that I have in my life. I mean, I'd, I'd write anything down. Uh, the sunset, the, the, the smell after the rain, uh, spiritual progress, uh, answered prayer. Tacos. You know, I write anything down that I was thankful for. And those, those are just things that, that, that I could see and that I knew about. But, but what about all the stuff that God is doing all the time that we don't have any idea of? Paul says, give thanks to God the Father for everything. And that's part of making the most of every opportunity. So Paul, last week we went through this whole list of all this stuff that, uh, that we need to do as we're putting off the old self and putting on the new. And then he kind of wraps it up with these few verses. He says, um, you've got a new identity, so you need to live carefully. You need to live wisely. You're, you're a new person, so make the most of this new life that you've been given. We live to love people to life. That's how we say it around here. So know God and discover his will. Be filled with the Spirit. Have a song in your heart and on your lips. And be thankful. If you're doing those things, you're well on your way to making the most of every opportunity that God brings your way.